Good morning. Grace and peace and hope to Waterstone Community Church. We're so glad you've joined us. Hey, we'd like to see who's worshiping with you this morning. Would you send us some pictures to Facebook and tag Waterstone or Instagram, hashtag Waterstone at home. But we miss you. It's a strange thing, this empty building, but we're reminded that the church is not the building. It's you and Christ's spirit living in you. Hey, I want to remind you that it's only three weeks till Easter, so we need to start doing some Easter practice this morning. So when I say Christ is risen, I want all of you, and especially the kids, to shout back, he is risen indeed. Your parents gave me express permission for you to shout as loud as you can in your house there. So I'll say Christ is risen, and you say he is risen indeed. So let me, let me set it up. First of all, Easter means life conquers death. Easter means mercy triumphs over judgment. Easter means our sins are forgiven. Easter means that there'll be a new heavens and a new earth when Jesus comes back and we'll have a big party and sitting at the head table will be Jesus Christ himself. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. That's good. It's great to hear you this morning. Hey, as we uh, prepare to sing and worship, we want to hear these words from the Psalms that invite us into God's presence. Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon the rock. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Good morning, Waterstone families. Good morning, Waterstone kids, especially bridge kids. Whoop, whoop. So glad to be here with you today. Actually, you need to gather in because we're going to hear from God's word. One of my favorite stories of how God used just a kid to remind his people how powerful and great he is. So come on, gather around. Well, don't sit on your TV, but here we are. We're going to hear from God's word, 1 Samuel 17. But in my favorite translation, the Jesus Storybook Bible. The young hero and the horrible giant. God's people had some scary enemies, but the Philistines were the scariest of them all. And now the Philistines had come to fight them. The Philistines had a secret weapon called Goliath. Goliath was a terrifying soldier, and worst of all, a giant. A giant so strong and so tall and so scary that no one had ever been able to fight him. That is, and live to tell the tale. So, there they were. The Philistines standing on top of one hill. God's people standing on top of the other. Every day, Goliath came out and shouted, Send your best soldier to fight me. If he wins, we will be your slaves. But if I win, you will be our slaves. No one spoke. No one even moved. Chickens, Goliath bellowed. Your God can't save you. I'll rip your heads off and have you on toast. His 
beady, greedy eyes glowered at them hungrily from under his horrible helmet, as if any minute he really might gobble them all up. And he laughed his terrible laugh. Ho, ho, ho. It boomed, echoing horribly around and around the dry, dry valley. Well, Goliath might just as well have been a green slimy monster with three heads because God's people froze with fear. Their eyes glazed over and they turned deathly pale. They knew if someone didn't do something quick, if someone didn't save them, but God would do something. He would send someone to save them. Now, you remember that David was the youngest son of Jesse? Well, his brothers were soldiers in the army. One day, when David brought his brothers their lunches, he saw Goliath, and he saw how scared everyone was. Don't be afraid, David said. I'll fight him for you. You're only a little shepherd boy, the king said, and Goliath is a great soldier. How will you fight him? God will help me, David said. So the king gave, gave David his royal armor to wear, but it was too heavy and too big. And David couldn't even walk. I won't need this, David said. Instead, David picked out five smooth stones from the stream. One, two, three, four, five. Took his slingshot and walked towards Goliath. Step, step, step. Goliath walked towards David. Thud, thud, thud. You? Goliath peered down at the small boy. I'm little, David shouted up at him, but God is great. Goliath laughed an even terribler laugh than usual. Ho, 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 it went. With just one swing of his giant sword, Goliath could finish the boy off. But David kept going. It isn't how strong you are or how many swords and spears you have that will save you. It is God who saves you. This is God's battle. And God always wins his battles. David put a stone in his sling. He swung it around and around and around and let it go. The little stone flew like a bullet through the air and struck Goliath thunk, right between the eyes. Goliath stopped laughing. He stumbled and staggered and crash, fell dead. When the Philistines saw Goliath was dead, they ran away. And when God's people saw them running away, they cheered. God had saved his people. David was a hero. Many years later, God would send his people another young hero to fight for them and to save them. But this hero would fight the greatest battle the world has ever known. God's story. Praise be to God. All right. Well, welcome. Uh, before I get going today, I need to apologize to one of my friends named Lane Frisbee. Lane Frisbee is a two-year-old here at Waterstone, and he saw me on the live stream last week, and I did not say hello to him when he said hello to me. And his parents let me know that he was a little bit frustrated about that. So I just want to start the message today by saying hello to Lane. Um, and uh, I love you, buddy. And I hope you're having fun with your family today watching 
the service online. You know, as I was thinking about the live stream this week, uh, I was struck by, by just a, a, an interesting image. I realized that one of the cool things about the live stream that we have is that we have two-year-olds and 92-year-olds all watching the same service together. Now, usually when we come together for worship in our building, we have kids in one room by age and we have adults in different rooms. And, and one of the things, as hard as this has been on our staff to, to not be able to see you when you come in uh, to worship on Sunday morning, it is cool to think about the fact that we have kids um, all the way from two years old, like Lane, uh, to 92 years old, worshiping together, um, opening God's word. And so it's just a cool image uh, if you can think about that uh, today as we get going. Um, I also want to say before we get going, uh, I want to give a special shout out to some of our high school students and particularly uh, our seniors. I know from talking with Elliot, our student pastor this week, um, and talking to a few of our students who are in high school, uh, this is a really tough time and, and everything with corona has affected them in, in a fairly unique way. Uh, and that as we were talking with students, we realized that, that in a matter of moments, they said goodbye to seasons um, of sports and, and said goodbye to productions of plays. And, and in a matter of moments, they realized that their high school careers uh, were over. They lost proms, and, and some of them may even be losing graduations. And we know that that's, each of those things is, is a really important milestone in, in the lives um, of people as they grow, and, and in a matter of weeks, they've lost all of that. And so we just want to say a special shout-out to you. We see you, we're praying for you, and, and most importantly, we are grieving with you um, about the loss of, of some of those moments. So... Um, yeah, just wanted to, to say those few things before we get going today. Uh, after a brief break last week, we are back in our study on Love This Book. So we have been walking through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation throughout this year. Um, we took a, a little bit of a break last week so Larry could address the coronavirus, and we're going to jump back into it today. A couple of things you need to know about where we're at in Love This Book is that um, we are jumping back into the story about a thousand years after Abraham and a thousand years before Jesus. So we are actually right in the middle of the Old Testament. So if you feel like we have been going pretty fast through this book, um, you're not wrong. We have literally covered a thousand years of history uh, in about three months. So well done on your part for keeping up with us and staying uh stand together with us. And one of the things, just to remind you about Love This Book and why it's so important, is that oftentimes when we come to the Bible, we come and we get a set of moral codes, or we think that, that it's about believing a certain set of doctrine to, to engage with and think a certain way. But really what we're doing in Love This Book is we're trying to step back, see the whole story of what God is doing in the world, and how we can actually join our stories to his story. So many times we go through life and we try to figure out our purpose, our meaning, what our story is about. And what we believe here at Waterstone is that when we join our stories to God's story, that's when our stories make sense. His story is the context and the plot that makes our life and our stories make sense. And so that's why we're going through this book. And we're going to pick the story up, um, as Elsa just read, with the story of David and Goliath. So let's go ahead and jump in with 1 Samuel 17. Begins and it says, Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. 
On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. You know, this week, uh, I know a lot of us have been affected by the, the coronavirus in a lot of different ways. One way that it hit home for me personally was that uh, I was supposed to go on a ski trip with my brother this coming week. He was going to come in on Thursday. And every year we go on a ski trip together uh, up to the mountains, spend some, some time with our family. And my, this year my dad was actually going to get to come too. And, you know, I love to ski. Um, I'm not a great skier. and in, in fact, I'm, I'm not even a good skier, but I love to ski. And I was really looking forward to that. So I'm kind of bummed that that we lost that trip and that time with my brother and, and my dad and, and uh, his wife. But as I was thinking about this message this week, there's something about skiing that I think kind of ties in with this idea of fear. Because you see, there's that moment when you're skiing down the mountain where you realize that you're getting a little bit faster than you thought, right? Like you, you get to the slope and it's a little bit steeper than you expected. You haven't made as many turns as you should have. And all of a sudden, you're going a little faster than you thought and you realize, oh my gosh, I am going to crash and kill myself. And your stomach maybe drops a little bit or maybe your, your heart kind of leaps into your throat and, and you get kind of tired. And it's your body's way of saying like, hey, slow down. We don't want you to kill us. So you need to get under control, right? And it's that fear we feel, this healthy fear that shows us some of our limits. Now, that's one kind of fear in skiing. I think there's actually another kind of fear in skiing. And I, I mean, absolutely no shame to anyone who's done this before. But there's also the kind of, of fear you can feel in skiing where you're going up the lift. And as you look at the lift below you and you begin to realize that, oh man, I think I may be bit off more than I can chew. I think this lift or this run is a, is a little bit harder than I expected. Maybe there's a little bit steeper than I expected. Maybe there's too many turns, there's too many trees. I don't think I'm quite skilled enough. And so when it times come to get off the lift, you just keep sitting down and you walk or you just stay on that lift and let it carry you back on down the mountain. And you opt out of the run because you don't believe that you can do it. You don't believe that you're good enough to ski down that run. And you see, that's the kind of fear that this story is talking about. This fear that Saul and the Israelites feel in this moment when they see Goliath. There's this fear that keeps them from engaging God's story. It causes them to opt out. This fear exposes their belief. And it exposes this idea that they don't think that they are strong enough to face Goliath. That's the kind of fear that I want to talk about today. Because if we're honest, many of us have felt that fear at different points in our lives. Many of us have felt that fear of failure. Maybe it's a fear of rejection. Maybe it's a fear of loneliness. This fear that we can feel where it just sinks us to our core. It acts like a quicksand and that the more we fight against this fear, the more that we try to, to fixate on it and to battle it, it actually works like quicksand and we sink deeper into it until it just swallows us whole and it's all we can think about. It saturates our minds and our hearts and cripples us. It immobilizes us. And I think there are moments in our lives when we encounter Goliaths, when we encounter fears, that we allow to immobilize and cripple us and keep us from living into God's story. There are moments where fear can keep us from living into who God has called us to be. And I think you actually see that in the story of Goliath and David and Saul. Now, what's so interesting is that the craziest thing about this story is if we could go back to that slide real quick. Um, 
This fear that they feel when they see Goliath is interesting because that word for, for terrified is actually a really common word in the Old Testament. And most of the time when that word terrified is used, it's often in relationship to God. And so actually what we see in this story, what we see happening is that, that Saul and the Israelites, a, a, an emotion, a feeling that is supposed to be reserved for God, this fear and this awe of God is actually placed on Goliath. In a word, they are actually more terrified of Goliath than they are of God, of Yahweh. And beyond that, oftentimes when this word is used, it's used when God is telling his people, hey, don't be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. I am with you. And so there's two strikes against Israel when they see Goliath. It, the first is that they, they feel this emotion, this fear that's supposed to be reserved for God, this reverence, this awe, this fear, and they feel it for Goliath, this giant. And beyond that, they're not living into this command God gives over and over and over again in Scripture to not be afraid, for God is with them. You see, what happens is when they see Goliath and the fear that they feel, they actually are exposed for what they believe. Their beliefs are exposed by what they fear. You see, go back to the skiing illustration for just a moment. If I'm on the lift and, and I think that, that I can, I'm seeing this lift, this run, and I think it's a little scary and I think that I might not be able to do it, but I get off the lift and I try to do it, I believe that I can actually conquer that fear, that I believe that I can go into something that's challenging, that's hard, that's difficult. Now, if I stay on the lift, and I just go around and I ride it back down the mountain, then it exposes this belief that I don't think I can do it. And beyond that, let's say that, that I decide to get off the lift, but it's not because I think I can do it. I get off the lift because I'm afraid of what the other people who are on the lift with me will think. Then it exposes my belief that I'm actually, I care more about what people think of me than my own safety, right? What we fear exposes what we believe. And what you see in Saul and the Israelites is that they fear Goliath and it exposes their lack of belief in God's character and who he has said he will be. And what's fascinating is through the whole story up until the point that David comes onto the scene, God isn't mentioned at all. It's as if this fear of Goliath has so saturated their minds and their hearts for these 40 days that he calls out these challenges that all they can see is that fear. All they can see is that inability to move past that fear and it exposes their belief that they don't, they've forgotten whose story that they're in. But David comes onto the scene and we begin to see a different approach to how he sees Goliath. So David, he goes to the, to the battlefield and he left his things with the keeper of supplies and he runs to the battle lines and asks his brothers how they were. And as he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. And David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they fled from him in great fear. Now you see, one of the interesting things about this story is that over and over and over again, the people who encounter Goliath run from Goliath. But when David steps onto the scene, he continually again and again runs towards Goliath. While everyone is filled with fear, David is not filled with fear. So how can that be? Why is David not afraid when everyone else is afraid? I think it has to do with the way that David sees the world. You see, you have to understand that, that up until this point, 
The story is actually that's going on in 1 Samuel is about Saul and David, not about David and Goliath. This story is actually not a story about David and Goliath and David overcoming his fear and conquering something that, that against overwhelming odds. The story is actually about Saul and David's response to the fear they encounter, to the giant that they see. And what we learn from David in this is that he actually has a lens to see Goliath from that's similar to how God sees Goliath. He sees the world the same way that God does. And we know this because when we go back, and just giving you a little bit of history, a little bit of background, is that when Saul was chosen to be king, when Saul was, was picked to be king of Israel, it, it's so fascinating because what we're told about him is that he was taller than everyone else in Israel. And in fact, they, they choose him because he's taller, he's a better warrior, he's stronger than everyone else in Israel. And they say, that's who we want leading us into battle. They look at Saul and from his appearance, they think that is the king that we need. Now, when David is anointed to be king, it's a completely different story. In fact, Samuel, the prophet, he goes to Jesse, David's father, and he's gonna, he knows that he's going to anoint the next king. And when he goes to... to um, Jesse's house, he sees all of David's brothers and he looks at them and he sees how tall and how strong and how handsome they are. And he says, surely this is the man who should be the king. And he does this actually seven different times with David's brothers. And each time God says, that is not the one I have chosen. And then he gets to David and he chooses David. And David is chosen not because of how he appears, but because of his heart. And it says that God chose David because he shares a similar heart with God. You see, throughout the whole story, again and again and again, when people see someone, they react on appearance. They have a, a lens where they judge people based on the externals that they see. I can find my security in a king like Saul because he's strong, he's tall, he's handsome. He can lead us into battle. And God says, no, 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 that's the wrong lens. That is not what we are going for. He says, David shares my heart. David sees the way I see. It's not based on the externals. And so when David steps onto the battlefield, he sees Goliath through the same lens that God sees him. He doesn't see it through Saul, where Saul's looking at the externals and where Israel's looking at the externals and they think, oh my goodness, this man is invincible. There's no way we can conquer him. David sees Goliath and says, no, 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 this is not a national crisis for us. This is not an attack against our people and our sovereignty and our nation. This is a theological crisis. This is an attack against our God. He sees it through a completely different lens. And he's not afraid because he sees that God is with him. David shows up on the scene, and, and he's the first one who mentions God's name. If we could go back to that slide David, uh, uh, sorry, next one, I think. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? You see, David shows up on the scene and his line about who is this that would defy the armies of the living God is actually an indictment against Saul and all of the Israelite army who's refused to fight Goliath, who's refused to step up to this challenge because he's saying, you guys have missed it. 
It's not just that, that, that we're fighting this giant who seems invincible, who has armor from head to toe, who's six foot nine and has all the weapons and all the latest gear. He's saying that's not what this is about. We have a living God on our side. And he's the one that allows us to step into these moments of fear. And instead of stepping back, so David runs towards him when everybody else flees. You see, the, the indictment is that, that David is saying, you have missed what this story is about. We are not in our own story where the things of this world can overpower us and overcome us. We are in God's story. And so what happens is David, he, he's frustrated with everyone. And we know this because David's brother gets angry at him and, and starts accusing him of being a show-off and being someone who's challenging him and, and, and doing something that's wicked. And David's like, what is your problem? That's not what I'm doing. I am here on behalf of the living God. This cannot stand. David sees things differently and through a different lens. He shares a view with God. He says, there is a living God in Israel. He sees someone attacking God's reputation and he won't have it. And so the story forces us in a way to ask, who are we? Are we Saul or are we David? Do we trust in what we see or do we trust in what God says? And that's the, the juxtaposition that's being set up in the story. It's a story actually about Saul versus David. And we really begin to see that contrast when we see Saul, here David is willing to fight against Goliath. And he calls him to his, his tent and he says, okay, who's this guy who's actually willing to fight? We've been waiting 40 days for someone to step up. And David comes and he immediately sees him and he dismisses him thinking, there's no way you can do this. You're inexperienced. You're too young. You're not strong enough to fight him. What are you talking about? You're a fool. He doesn't believe that David can do it. Again, seeing David with his eyes dismisses him. And this is what David responds with. He says, but David said to Saul... Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and I killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. Again, David has a completely different view of what is going on. David has a completely different understanding about what the situation is. Saul judges him by his appearance and, and David says, you're missing it. That's not what's going on here. First of all, I am a seasoned warrior. I have experience. I have conquered enemies. And secondly, I believe that God can rescue and do what he's done before, which is deliver me. What's so fascinating is three times David uses that phrase that God has rescued him, that God has delivered him. And it's actually the same word that's used again and again in Scripture from, from when God rescues Israel out of Egypt and delivers them to when God sends the judges to rescue them against their enemies. David is remembering the whole story of what God has done and the way that Israel has been rescued by God again and again and again. He has a long memory of what God has done and he has his own personal experience as well. You see... The opposite of fear is not courage, it's faith. You see, for David, it's not about just having enough courage to conquer these enemies against overwhelming odds. For David, it's about having faith in God and that God will be who he says he will be and do what he says he will do. 
He has this trust that God will actually be the one that shows up. And that makes him willing to step into a situation that everyone else is fleeing from in fear. And the question for us then is, do we have faith? Do we remember in moments of fear what God has done? Do we remember in those moments where fear grips us and and saturates our minds and our hearts and it's all we can think about, that God is bigger than anything we might face? You see, David has faith that God will show up. But not only that, David, David has faith, but it's important to recognize David is not foolish. Faith is not the absence of wisdom. It's not stepping into things with foolishness. So many times when we hear faith, we think, oh, I'll just take that step of faith and I'll just jump off and and hope that everything works out. That's not what David is doing here at all. This is not me going up to LeBron James and saying, hey, I have faith that I can beat you in a game of one-on-one. Let's go. Because I'm pretty sure I'll get dunked on and I'm going to be very embarrassed. That is not what this faith is about. What faith is about here is that David understands God has equipped him for the task to take on Goliath. He realizes that he has had the experience of stepping into situations again and again and again with the tools and the skills that he has to step into this moment of faith, not with fear, but with faith that God can show up and use him to defeat Goliath. I was talking with my wife, Steffi, about it yesterday, and, and she had a, a beautiful way of phrasing it, that, that it, there's this marriage, this tension we have between stepping into who God has called us to be and expecting God to show up. And, and it's like we meet somewhere in the middle and that, that there's this relationship that we just don't like hope God is going to take care of everything and sit back, nor do we just step into it and think we can do everything on our own. There's this marriage between trusting God and trusting what he has given us and how he has equipped us to step into moments of challenge and fear. And that's what we see in David. And what's so interesting is, is there's actually been a lot of research done recently to, to, to show us how equipped David was to take on Goliath. So he's, he's a slinger, right? In, in the ancient world, there were kind of three different types of military people that were that fighting, three different types of fighters. So you had your infantry, someone that was just hand-to-hand combat like a Goliath. You also had your cavalry, so people who would ride on horses or chariots and, and come into to the battle. And then you also had artillery. You had your archers and your slingers, people that from a distance would be able to attack people. And what we know both from scripture and external sources is that people who were slingers, they have an incredible skill set. In fact, in Judges, we're told that there are 700 slingers in Israel who could hit a, a, a target of a hair if they tried. We know from some external sources that, that people actually who were slingers could kill or maim their targets from, from as many as 200 yards away, two football fields away. I mean, these people were talented and gifted. They were, they were not some child's toy with a slingshot. They were actually really devastating soldiers. And so we actually know that, that David is not just some fool, some child stepping in to a challenge thinking that he has no hope of defeating Goliath. He knows that he has the right skill set to step into this. And what's so interesting is that, as you see, there's about 40 verses that lead up to the confrontation between Goliath and David. And then the story's over like that. It says that that David rushed towards Goliath, slung the the stone, hit Goliath, and killed him. 
In fact, it's kind of like that, that image. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie uh, Indiana Jones and the, the Last Crusade, right? But, but there's the, the soldier who steps out of the crowd and he's got the sword and he's doing all sorts of tricks and trying to get Indiana Jones to fight. And you think, oh my gosh, this is going to be an epic battle. And then Indiana Jones pulls out his gun and shoots him and it's over. That's about how the battle between David and Goliath goes. It is so anticlimactic. It doesn't even make sense because there's been all this buildup and David steps onto the field and just kills Goliath like he's nothing. You see, the, the point in how quickly David is able to, dis, to dispatch Goliath is that, that it's not about overcoming overwhelming odds. The story of David and Goliath is not about an underdog overcoming a heavy favorite. The story of David and Goliath there's a story about Saul and David and their response to fear. It's, it's the story of Saul seeing a moment of fear and stepping back and, and hiding and being not willing to step in or have faith that God can be who he will, says he will be. But David being willing to do that. You see, really the, the heart of the story is this story about Saul not being fit to be king of Israel anymore. It's a story about why David should be king of Israel because David has the faith to lead the people of Israel into God's story. And so the question for us is, is do we have that kind of faith? Do we allow fear to dictate our stories or do we step into those moments of fear and have faith in who God is, remembering what he has done and having faith for what he will do? See, I think the clearest moment, the clearest picture we get of the difference between Saul and David is after David says he is willing to fight against Goliath. Saul tries to dress him up in, in the conventional means of war. So he puts a helmet on him, he puts a tunic, he puts chain mail, he puts a breastplate, he gives him a sword, and, and David can't walk around in it. it. It's too big for him, it doesn't fit. Because remember, Saul is one of the tallest people in all of Israel. In fact, it's so fascinating because when you look at Saul, he's actually described in a very similar way to how Goliath is described. They're both listed as very tall, and we've both given an account of the kind of armor they have. They're, they're decked out. They should be the ones fighting. And Saul is still trusting in the conventional means to, to try to achieve victory. He is still trusting in the conventional means of the day. He is still trusting in what he can see. David rejects all that and says, no, this is not how this victory will be won. And he comes to, to Goliath and Goliath says, do you come at me with sticks? And he says, you might have swords and spears and javelins, but, but I have the living God on my side. You see, the whole story is pointing us to this fact that the people of God actually have a very long history of trusting in Saul's to help them conquer their Goliaths. We have this whole history of people that follow God, trusting in what they can see rather than in what God says. And so we look to people in the world or we look to conventional means to find our security, to find our safety. And the story of David is calling us to something beyond that. It's saying that, that all of those things will actually fail us eventually. And in some ways, we've gotten a really intense lesson in that in just the last couple of weeks with this COVID-19 situation. I mean, some of the conventional ways that we have found security, that we have found safety, have been stripped away in a matter of days. I mean, our country has one of the most elite militaries the world has ever seen. 
And, and yet there's nothing it can do against this invisible enemy. Over the last 12 years, we have seen our stock market and our economy grow to soaring heights. And in a matter of days, it came crashing down. You see, there are all these things that, that we find our security and our safety, people that we give our trust and our faith to. And again and again, the story of Scripture says is that when we do that, we are, we are betraying our trust. We are, are leading ourselves to, to a dead end. When we trust the Saul's and their appearance and the conventional means of gaining success and victory and achievement, God is saying you've misplaced your faith. And so the question for us is, are we a people of faith? Are we Saul's trusting in the conventional means of salvation? Or are we David's who place our faith in God and in him alone? Where is our faith in moments of fear? See, what's so fascinating about Scripture is that over and over and over again, we are told, in fact, 365 times, we are told that the people of God should not be afraid. Over and over and over again, when people are encountered with, encountered with moments of fear, when they are encountered with their world falling apart, when they are encountered with stepping into to unknown places, when they are, are called to, to step into the unknown, again and again, they are told by God not to fear. They are told not to fear because he is with us. So the question is, do we trust that? Do we trust in those moments when we are afraid? When our belief is exposed, will we go to God and give him our trust and our faith and our allegiance? I was reminded of that uh, in a really interesting way this week. Um, there's a young girl in our church. Uh, her name is Malia. And I know her family is going to get really excited that I'm giving them a shout out because they always want shout outs from the preachers. Uh, but Malia is, is nine years old. And in this moment of crisis that our country is in, and in this moment when, when so many people are afraid, Malia decided to have a little bit of faith. And so she went out to her front yard, and on her driveway, she wrote a message for anyone going by to see to encourage them. And this is what she said. Courage doesn't mean you aren't afraid, but it means you don't have to let fear stop you. Courage doesn't mean you aren't afraid. It means you don't have to let fear stop you. May we, the people of Waterstone, have a faith like that in these moments of fear, trusting that God will be who he says he will be and do what he says he will do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we know uh, that we as a people who follow you are called not to be afraid. God, there are so many moments of fear that we encounter in life where, where we just want to opt out of the story, where we just want to back off and, 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 and hide. May you give us, your church, the, the faith to step out in moments of fear, the faith to be willing to say that we're not afraid in a world that is, is crippled and paralyzed with fears in this moment. May we be a people like Malia, who don't let fear stop us, but step out in faith and love to care for those around us. And it's in Christ's name we pray.